Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Stand by in five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Women on Deadline, a podcast about her experience in TV news. I'm Carolyn Hall. And I'm Sierra Starks. That lovely voice you heard cutting us into show is Samantha Anderson. She's a producer at Western Mass News in Springfield, Massachusetts. Earlier this year, CPJ, the Committee to Protect Journalists, put out a post titled For Local Female Journalists in the U.S., Rape Threats, Stalkers, and Harassment Can Come with the Beat. It was written by Avi Asher Shapiro and Lucy Westcott. Um, Now, I've shared some of the sexual harassment I've faced online, um, but this also had me thinking of um, some pretty sketchy experiences that I've had in the field. The most scary, I will say, is I can remember when we had done this story and spent all day in sort of like a different city and um, that I was like sort of unfamiliar with. But uh, we did that. We went out there. We did the story. Uh, We were about to go live, I want to say, for the 11 p.m. show. So somewhere in the hours of like 10, maybe we are sitting in the live truck. It's myself and the photographer I was working with. And he's editing in the back of the truck and I'm, you know, putting together all of my stuff in the front. And I see like three girls who are coming down the sidewalk, right? So we're parked right outside of the police station. Um, We're sort of next to the curb. And so they're walking on the sidewalk. And um, I don't know, it just seemed weird for people to be walking outside at that time of night. And there were three girls together. Um, so they, they sort of just like kept walking back and forth past the live truck. And so I remember one time they were just a little too close to us. And something told me like lock the live truck doors. So I immediately like pushed the lock button. And as soon as I did that, one of the girls starts grabbing at the handle um, on the outside of the truck trying to get in. And I was like, what? So I'm like looking at her do this, like, well, you're not going to get in. Like, what's going on? And um, and so she's just like yanking it and yanking it. And then she's like, um, like yelling, um, like obscene phrases at us. And then like, I, I don't know, this, this happens all in a matter of like 20, 30 seconds. And then they run off. Right. And so, you know, my photographer turns around. He's like, what was that about? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't even know what just happened. So. A little bit later, after we've, you know, gotten everything together, sent everything to the newsroom, he goes to try to set up the actual live shot, right? So he's got the tripod, and I don't know if he had gotten the camera at this time, but he, I remember him taking the tripod out there, and then the three girls come back. So he's outside, I'm still in the truck, Um, he's outside, and they, like, go up to him, and she's, like, starts just yelling these obscene phrases again, like, she's just, like, cursing at us and, like, yelling at us. And it's sort of like just this like one girl. I, I don't think her friends are in on it or like whatever she's got against like what we've got going on. Um, 
but she like pushes over the tripod, breaks it, um, then starts like swinging on my photographer, like literally like landing in his face, like just like hitting him. So I'm like, I'm sort of like (laughs) doing a lot of things in the truck, right? I'm like yelling. I'm not going to let them in, right? So I'm like locked in the truck. I'm yelling at her to stop. Um, I'm also recording because I'm like, you know, we might need this like footage. So I'm recording on my cell phone. I'm like yelling at this girl. Um, And then at some point, like good thing we're like right next to a police station. The police like come up and they end up, the girls end up running off. Um, I think one car sort of like goes after them and the other car like had to stay with us through our live shot. So like when I, I don't know, I think about that often when I see posts like this, you know, that are like, sometimes we are in danger when we're out in the field. Right. And I, sometimes we're in danger even when we're in the newsroom. True story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There have been so many newsrooms like targeted recently that it's, it's, you know, it's not the safest place to work in America. Right. There's that as far as out exterior threats that are um, encroaching upon newsrooms, but then also there's the online world as well, where there are stalkers, there's online harassment through social media, and it's just, it's relentless. It's from all sides. It is. And I'm, I'm really glad that CPJ put out this post and, you know, that these two these two writers really took a, a deep dive and the, the women who are you know, included in this post who decided to share their story. You know what I mean? Like the conversation doesn't happen until people are willing to come forward and talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And I think, I think part of the reason why it's more a part of the broader discussion is because of the Me Too movement. And there's just a lot more transparency with uh, what's going on in women's conversations nowadays. Um, And these are issues that we need to be talking about in particular, you know, with managers, um, because they have a lot of power when it comes to, you know, the situations that we find ourselves in um, and what those expectations are as far as safety, but then also as far as, you know, continuing to do the work that that you're expected to do. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, you know, like one thing that I always think about is like, you know, the MMJs who run their own live shots at the time that we would have done that one. Like when I was in that situation, like I remember afterwards thinking like, what if I was out here alone? Like there's no way three girls coming up to me and one of them trying to hit me and knock my tripod over. Like no way as like, as a solo person like I would have been able to handle that by myself right and and that's why I mean it's a perfect case in point why MMJs I don't care what your gender is or gender orientation is like you should not be out at a live shop by yourself especially at night it's just I mean you're (laughs) you're a bullseye you're a target you're wearing like a brightly colored jacket that is emblazoned with your news station's logo on it and your call letters and Oftentimes or at times, depending on the station, you're, you have this mic flag or, you know, maybe you're using a news vehicle that is wrapped with, you know, the station logo and all that. I mean, you're a target. Yeah. You're a target and you shouldn't be out there by your spell, by yourself, especially more recently where the climate is that there's a growing intensity and hatred if not fear of the press. Mm -hmm. And so people are quick to judge and quick to be angry 
at those in journalism. Yeah. 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 So for this episode, we wanted to take a deeper look at CPJ's research and their efforts to protect journalists in the field and online. So take a listen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Westcott is the James W. Foley Fellow at CPJ, the Committee to Protect Journalists. Prior to joining CPJ, she was a staff writer for Newsweek, where she covered gender and immigration. Maria Salazar-Ferro is CPJ's Emergencies Director, meaning she oversees CPJ's assistance and safety work worldwide. Ladies, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. We're really looking forward Perfect. So let's jump right in. Lucy, your most recent project for CPJ was published mid-January. It's titled For Local Female Journalists in the U.S. Rape Threats, Stalkers, Harassment Can Come with the Beat. And uh, that project was a joint effort with your colleague, Avi Asher Shapiro. Um, Can you just give us an overview of the project and tell us how you two happened upon it? Yes. um, So my colleague, Avi, uh, he, he attends lots of journalism conferences around the U.S. and he, he went to one a few months ago and got talking to lots of uh, women broadcasters and they were telling him about the really rampant uh, harassment that they, they all face. And Avi, as a journalist, his first thought was, well, we have to write about this. So um, he wanted to, to partner with me because I have a lot of experience writing about uh, this topic When I was at Newsweek, I did a pretty lengthy look into sexual harassment of journalists in all beats and all mediums. Um, So in around November, um, Avi reached out to some of the women he met. And of course, they all had stories to tell. They all had friends who had stories to tell. So we kind of had these uh, very intense but very productive conversations really around all the different types of harassment and safety threats that they face. Okay. Can you let us in on some of the things you guys learned? Yes. Um, So one of the main things I think that we learned is how common it is for online harassment to go into a real life setting. Um, We spoke to half a dozen reporters, but I know that there are many more who have received uh, threats and online stalking. Actually, we met, we, we spoke to a few women who had stalkers um, and those men would show up in real life in many cases. 
Um, it was extremely frightening for them. And I'm frankly amazed that they continued to do journalism, knowing that those threats were out there. Um, we also learned that lots of newsrooms don't really have any kind of formal safety training for their reporters. Um, a lot of the a lot of the conversations they're just these, these are conversations that are happening among journalists, but the management and the newsrooms um, seem to respond only after something's happened, and that was surprising. Is that that's my next question? Is what what surprised you the most? Was it that fact or that finding? It was that fact, um, but also I think just frankly how bad some of the harassment is um, and some of the safety issues that we that we learned about. I mean, one case that we that we wrote about, the FBI was involved. Um, a reporter was was stalked. She was not allowed to, um, for safety reasons, sleep in her own house for a week. And I mean, that's an enormous safety threat. It's extremely frightening. And I was surprised that no one had actually written that much about it before. Um, one of the other surprising things is that this seems to be a very known um, problem, that safety is a huge issue for female broadcasters on TV and on the radio. And the journalists are very much encouraged to be public, um, which puts them in an extremely vulnerable position, as we as we write about. And there's, there seems to be kind of a, a gap there. Yeah. Somehow having to manage that balance of being personable, but then when when that personability is sort of exploited more than than having to deal with those consequences. Yes, and and I'm a, an online and print um, journalist. That's my background, so I I don't have the uh, the experience of a broadcast journalist. But you know, I to me as quite a private person, it would be very difficult for me to be that public, knowing that these uh, safety issues are very much here. Got you. So one of the resources you link to at the end of the post is CPJ's Safety Kit to Journalists on uh, Physical and Digital Safety. Um, There you can find a number of resources designed to keep journalists safe while they're on assignment. Maria, can you let us in on anything CPJ is doing in terms of reaching out to newsroom managers about safety issues that pertain to journalists, women in particular? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we're actually pretty excited to be talking about the safety kit and we're excited to be able to have another medium to um, you know to present it and to have journalists um, reach out and use it um, <clears throat> the safety kit has been developed with our two safety experts uh, one is a physical safety expert and the other one's a digital safety expert um, we uh, have looked to the to develop these tools with pretty basic information uh, and then we update them as we encounter uh, trends that we want to develop information for. So let me a- answer your, your second question first. Um, one of the things that we're doing actually with Lucy and that Lucy's fellowship um, revolves around is understanding exactly what uh, threats of you know safety threats women and gender non-conforming journalists working in the U.S. and Canada are facing in order for us to be able to look at the at the tools that we've developed and make sure that those tools are adequate and that they're responding to the risks and to the needs that, that these journalists are facing. And um, if they're not, we're looking to update them. 
and to add other resources that will adequately support this group of journalists. Um, additionally, as part of the project, but really as a wider uh, undertaking that we've begun to do already, but that we're really focused on this year, is reaching out more into newsrooms to talk about the resources that we've developed, to offer them to journalists and to editors, and um, you know to help editors understand the, the need for this kind of support. It's something that we do in conjunction with other groups. Um, we are a founding member, member of an alliance called ECOS, A Culture of Safety. Uh, the alliance was formed after the killing of James Foley in 2014, and it honors also Lucy's fellowship um, to J James and, and um, Stephen Sotloff. Um, and it was a group of um, news organizations, freelance journalists, and organizations like CPJ that came together to work on this. Um, so some of the initiatives that CPJ does with ACOS include editor training, because as we often discuss, you can train all the journalists, we can talk to all the journalists about safety, but you need to have a partner on the other side of the table who's asking the right questions and who's able to provide the right resources and tools for journalists to report on. So we do this kind of training. We just did one in December here in New York. Um, we do them in different parts of the world, and we're working on a couple of other um, initiatives to really um, reach out to journalists, um, uh, sorry, to editors. Again, this is one of the things that we're looking to do with Lucy, and we've done a couple of pilot projects um, with the outlets that have, invite, that have invited us into their newsrooms to talk about this. Um, we've worked with Vice and with Newsfeed, uh, sorry, <clears throat> with BuzzFeed here in New York, um, and what we've done is we, you know, we just we talk about the issue and open it up um, for journalists, editors, and their, their safety trainers to talk about, and then again point them to to, to resources that exist or discuss exist resources that are missing. Maybe you can talk about some of the resources that, uh, especially the support for for male. Um, yeah. Um, so in one of our newsroom engagement sessions. Um, you know, the, these sessions involve having quite difficult conversations that need to need to take place, but often it's difficult to know where to start with them. I talk about my own experiences and kind of it opens up um, a lot of helpful chats. But one of the things that's ha actually been requested of CPJ is a guide really for male colleagues and male allies in the newsroom to sort of I guess, advocate on their female colleagues' behalf, but also to just know how to how to help um, if a safety situation comes up. So, for for example, if there's um, a journalist who, who's traveling and it's a it's a extreme weather situation, there's not a lot of fixers around. You know, they, the only option for a fixer or for an assistant um, on on that particular journalism trip might just be a taxi driver. That obviously poses. Uh, a number of safety risks and if those conversations haven't been had ahead of time then then the risks are greater. And what we have found in talking to a lot of journalists is that when you bring up the issue that that female journalists you know may face the type of vulnerability that male journalists um, don't face um, often male journalists will have a very surprised look on their face um, and I don't want to say all of them but we have found this pretty uh, yeah. It's been pretty common, and they realize that they have not thought about this ahead of time and are very, very interested in ways in which they can educate themselves and really become better allies. Yeah, And that's interesting because if you have 
a male editor or you have a male news director or you have a male assignment editor who's sending you out on these type of assignments, then maybe they just haven't thought through those things. That's right. So that's where our the resources that I'm developing and the resource that, resources that we already have will be really helpful. And when it comes, when it comes down to also, um, I, and this is not talking about the U.S., but there was one woman who I recently met um, uh, reporting in Colombia, uh, a female photographer who's working for a national outlet, and she said she was talking to with her editor, but she was saying, you know, often when I go out to report, I don't have to think only of the risks that I face as a journalist, as a photographer, but I have to add on to that the risks that I just face as a woman. And that's something that because they don't face it on an everyday, in their everyday reality, often um, male colleagues haven't taken into account. I got you. So you guys, you mentioned Vice and you mentioned BuzzFeed, I think, but has this tapped into the local news markets at all? Not, not yet. Not we, yet. We, um, we have done this with Vice, with Vice and BuzzFeed because they're both um, very present uh, partners in, in ECOS. And as just, you know, as colleagues, they, they invited us to, to begin talking about this. Um, as Lucy continues to develop her project, the, the goal and the idea um, is to, to get out to smaller newsrooms that obviously have, a, you know, a, their resources do not compare to the resources of, of BuzzFeed and Vice, where actually it was their security team that invited us. And as we know, local small outlets do not have the security teams that bigger outlets do. And that's that's part of the problem and actually part of the solution that we're trying to create, information and tools that can help people that don't have access to these kinds of resources. And Lucy, you're, so we've talked about your project a bit that you're working yeah. on, but can you elaborate a little more? Yeah, definitely. Um, so my project came about actually um, because of my own experiences of, of harassment and safety threats while out on the job, but also because um, of the reporter Kim Wall. She was a Swedish journalist who was killed in Denmark while out reporting in uh, 2017. And what struck me about her case was that she was in a country that was both very safe for the press and also very safe for women. And she was in a situation that I found myself in and that many of my friends who are journalists and colleagues have found themselves in. And that was just going out reporting alone and interviewing, interviewing someone you've never met before. So I kind of thought there are obviously um, huge safety issues in, in conflict zones, in war zones. But let's take a look at what I call non-conflict zones or non-hostile environments to see what kind of issues are there. So at the end of this month, I'll be sending out a big survey to as many female and gender non-conforming journalists as possible um, to, as Maria pointed out, to identify exactly what the safety threats are. Because unless we know what they are facing, it's difficult for us to respond. And we can respond with tailored tools and resources once we know. So I'm looking at uh, digital threats physical threats and, and obviously psychological threats as well. From that um, data, I'll be analysing it and then doing, I hope, a lot of, it, a lot of interviews with the respondents and then um, we will add to our already really great list of safety notes and safety advisories that are available on the Resource Centre. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and because you are sort of calling for female journalists to respond, have, have you found at all that 
some have been hesitant in their roles to maybe bring up a red flag or if it's just like this person who keeps stalking you on Facebook or, you know, things like have been sort of hesitant to bring it up? So right now, the survey is in the testing phase, um, so it hasn't been sent out to a wider audience yet. But what I can tell you is that, you know, there's not a lot of data out there already because harassment and, and, and safety issues are very difficult to talk about a lot of the time. And there is a lot of underreporting because of that. Um, I think as, as women and as journalists especially, and, I'm, and Avi and I um, wrote about this in the story, you often don't want to draw attention to yourself because you don't want to say, well, I need more help or I need more support because you, you, you know that you can do the same job. Um, but often you, you, you need to just have those safety threats in the back of your mind because they do happen. So I would say that um, in my experience reporting, yes, um, that people are kind of reluctant to come forward at times and if they do come forward, often they'd like their name changed or they'd like to be anonymous, which is absolutely understandable. And that's one of the things that we're really trying to do with this project as well, is to normalize um, yes. the idea of coming forward to show that it's not just you, but it happens to... You, do you have some numbers from Jason, right? I mean, seven in 10 women, uh, female journalists have experienced online harassment. So we really are looking to to create, a, to really do a, a cultural shift in which women feel that they can come forward and the people around them have the tools necessary to give them the support that they need and allow them to continue to work safely. And that brings me to sort of the why now question. Um, why is it important that we are putting so much emphasis on female journalist safety now in the present? Well, uh, I mean, Lucy did, when she came to me with the with um, with this pitch, it was very much on the heels of of Kim Wall's um, of Kim Wall's death, and just like um, the fellowship was named after uh, Jim Foley, that was um, a death that really shook our community. Uh, and again, Kim Wall's death really shook our community because um, it was something that you know. So it was such a common experience for, for journalists to have, and and. Um, it, it just it, it was just kind of one of these moments where you stop and think, oh, that, that so easily could have been me. I really need to have a long, hard think about how many times I've put myself at risk um, and what can I do about that to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And then the second point that, um, and I'm going to just, uh, you know, throw the ball back at you, Lucy, but the second <laughs> point that Lucy often makes is the Me Too movement and how um, it, one of the things that is really important to us and that has uh, moved us is that the movement has normalized coming forward and it has shown that um, adding your voice can really uh, be a great advocacy tool for change. Yeah, I would say that's absolutely true. Um, and I think also, as we, as we write about in the story, there have been a few, you know, the... the Journalists in the U.S. are kind of are more on alert. Um, you had the Capital Gazette shooting last year, the CNN um, bombs in the mail, and um, the continued use of, of "enemy of the people," which uh, by President Trump, which has frightened, frankly, quite a lot of journalists and what the consequences of that might be. So I think the the whole idea of of women, the the idea of women's safety, th these issues have always been there. Right, these aren't new issues, but but Me Too made it easier to talk about, 
Um, and the strange uh, environment for journalists in the US right now is also putting an emphasis on, on safety. I will add that the Lucy's work is uh, focused in North America. Um, this is a global issue, uh, and it's not a, only a Europe and U.S. issue. We are, as I, as I mentioned before, it's something that we are seeing all over the world. Um, and um, along with Lucy, we have another fellow, Gear Saragini, who's also looking into some uh, issues of online harassment to women journalists in other parts of the world. I should also add, actually, on the question of why now. Um, the, the shifting nature of the journalism industry here, but I think in many other countries, means that there's, journalists are often doing now a number of different jobs. So they're not, just, they're not just reporting, but they have a camera which poses safety risks. They are filming and shooting photographs, often all on their own. So you have that equipment, you're trying to do all these different jobs, your situational awareness is down, and you're put in a vulnerable position, especially if you're a woman. I was going to bring up that point, but I'm so glad that you did. Um, yeah. Lucy, I look forward to the results of your project. Thank you both for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Sierra, thank you so much for interviewing those women from CPJ. I just learned so much from listening to them. I thought it was um, a very enlightening conversation. Absolutely. And I really hope that it ignites uh, a spark that turns into a fire um, for newsroom managers in particular. Like, I think broadly there needs to be awareness for all newsroom employees, no matter if you're working in the newsroom or out in the field. Hello, editors. Hello, TV newsroom managers, like executive producers and producers. Like it's it's everybody's responsibility. But then also it's you know the people who are the decision making decision makers at newsrooms that really need to be um, investing investing in security measures and training. So yeah, I have a, like a bunch of takeaways that I'd like to talk about. But what was your major takeaway? Uh, one of them is that uh, this is not just happening to TV news journalists because of like what is the online climate now? You know what I mean? Like it's it's not just you're a target because you're out in the field and you have this mic flag and the branding is everywhere. But, you know, print journalists are going through it like, you know, just online journalists are going through it. It's 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 kind of scary. Yeah, and it was interesting to me also that radio was brought up because, I mean, I end up just because of my background, you know, having this cocoon silo where I don't think too often about radio reporters. But of course, you know, they're exposed as well um, because they do have, you know, on air personalities. And so that was I'm glad that they talked about that because it's easy at times just to remain in a silo. Um yeah, and I, it, it also, their conversation reinforced that so many newsrooms are reactive instead of proactive. Yeah, absolutely. When it, yeah, well, like when it comes to having formal safety training, um, making sure that their employees, again, it doesn't, 
matter if you're out in the field or if you're in the newsroom, but making sure that you have that awareness and safety training is, is huge. And it's, it's digital safety as well as the physical safety. So I'm glad that they address both of those issues as well. And that you, your online presence and all that you have to do as a reporter, right? I remember like, you know, I'm in charge of my own Facebook. I'm in charge of my own Twitter. Um, you know, I'm in charge of my own Instagram and we have to, you know, do all this work. And so people see us and that quickly becomes, it's quickly taken offline is as we've seen in what they talked about. Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad that they talked about that as well. And you brought this up that there's a vulnerability factor there because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing what the managers expect of you, which is being an affable online presence that engages with your community. But then all of a sudden, somebody in your audience takes it a step further and you're um, your vulnerability there is exploited and you're just really taken advantage of. And it can very quickly devolve from an online harassment situation to an in-person, like, really scary situation. Yeah. Too. Especially with things like geotag these days. Like, people know where right. you are at all times. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the internet is a scary world out there and, and the internet just you know, makes it even scarier because, you know, your, your physical well-being is suddenly at play. Um, I was really excited to um, hear them talk about the safety kit that they have online as a resource. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that is huge. Yeah. Really huge. And so the conversation is happening, you know, now with them like engaging with BuzzFeed and Vice, but I like that they want to offer the resources that they're developing, you know, to keep journalists safe, that they want to offer those to like newsrooms around the country like they want it to be just part of the protocol that we just keep our journalists safe well and especially that they're keeping in mind the small markets because oftentimes as we all know small market tv stations don't have resources to invest in you know maybe it's a training or maybe it's advancement career advancement and this is something that should be paramount and so if they are able to fill even just a little bit of that vacuum, that gap with this kind of training or with this resource with the online safety kit, uh, that, that is huge. And I, and I hope that managers are listening or reading online the, the article with the research and everything, um, and taking advantage of what's available to them with CPJ. Uh, what did you think about the, um, the part about male colleagues? They, I've, I say it over and over again. They don't have to consider the same things we have to consider when they are out in the field or even in the newsroom. Like, I don't think I've had a male colleague tell me, oh, yeah, this this person's just really getting at me online. Like, I don't, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't happen, no, right? Like, it just, it doesn't. I don't think that's, I, yeah, I've I've never heard that. And so even those same considerations in the field where, I don't know where like you you are a guy so maybe you you feel like if anything happens you'll be able to take that person on or you know but like it's just not the same considerations right and like as a male you're not perceived as someone who can be taken advantage that of too. or who can quickly become a victim mm -hmm. so there's that um but one thing that I was actually refreshing to hear them talk about was you know, providing some sort of guidance for a male colleague so that they can learn how to help women or to help just other colleagues in general in the newsroom, but then also how to advocate for their female colleagues as well. Um, so I, I, 
I thought that was really refreshing um, because so much of our focus, I think, tends to be on women. But it's like, you know, we're all in this together. We are. Yeah. I don't know. It's just it. I thought it was a really, really good interview and it was really great to hear their perspectives and I'm really appreciative that they shared their perspective and shared their time with you so that we could have this be part of the part of the podcast absolutely and I I also like that Lucy is continuing that work right so you know she's she's asking for female journalists to participate in another project similar to this one so the conversation is continuing And I look forward to seeing good things happen out of it. Yeah, as she put it, um, normalizing the conversation. That's huge. Absolutely. That'll do it for this episode of Women on Deadline, a podcast about her experience in TV news. I'm Carolyn Hall. And I'm Sierra Starks. Special thanks to Samantha Anderson. Again, she's a producer at Western Mass News in Springfield, Massachusetts. If you're a producer, go ahead, lend your voice to the podcast. We'd love to have you. Just send us an email at womenondeadline at gmail.com. Be great, Carolyn. Be great, Sierra. And we're out in five, four, three, two, one. Nice job, ladies. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.